So there's this, uh, this larger, I don't know, medium to larger size group of people that have been following him for a few days now. And it's just been a few days, but from like town to town and from small village to small village, they've been staying with friends, um, they've been staying in inns, wherever they can like, just find a little piece of earth to rest their heads. They packed only what they could carry with them because they weren't going to be gone for a long time, but they're going to be gone long enough. They needed a few things. And so they went. And they kind of just for a few days pushed pause on some th- their jobs, you know, their, their, their lives and their family obligations in order to follow this guy. And they did that because he said and did things in such a way that they had not really ever heard and certainly things that they had never seen before. He seemed to offer their lives something that was refreshing, something that they felt was missing. And I know that every person in this room knows that feeling, that search for something that's going to make a difference, that's going to give you identity and, and a purpose, and it's going to refresh you somehow. And we know that feeling, and, and, and they did too. And that's why they were curious about him. So like a large crowd of groupies following like a concert to concert, you know, um, they followed him from town to town, just kind of like soaking in what he was saying and, and, and the marvelous things that he was doing. Now, that was until at some point early on, he turns to this crowd of people and he says something that at first I was going to describe to you as astounding, but that just kind of sounds like, oh, wow, that's surprising. And it was much more than surprise. It was absurd. And actually, it was offensive and it really struck to the core every person who heard him say it. Luke, when he writes this story of Jesus' life in the Bible, in chapter 14, he gives us those words that Jesus turned and said to the crowd. And I want to read those for you right now. Luke 14, 26, and 27. This is what Jesus says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and his mother, his wife and his children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. So, over the next several weeks, in fact, over the next couple of months, all right, we're going to be looking at Jesus' life. All right, we're going to be looking at his life. And what we want to discover, if this is your first week with us, we just started last week into the series, we want to discover what the gospel means, what that word really means. All right, now last week we put together that the word gospel is two Greek words that come together that literally mean the joyful declaration of good news. The joyful declaration of good news. So in fact, gospel means good news. Good news, that's what it means. All right. When Greece was invaded by the Persians in the late 5th century BC, the Greeks were vastly outnumbered. 
But when they defeated the Persian force that was invading Greece, the Greek army sent heralds back out into all of the city-states throughout Greece. And the heralds ran into town shouting, we fought, we won, you're free. They were proclaiming a gospel. And so what the gospel means is a joyful declaration of good news. In fact, what it meant then, as it means today, is there is something that has just happened in history, in time, that has forever changed your status. We fought, we won, and we're free. So in this series, we want to accomplish a few things. I'm just going to tell you right out what we want to do over the next several weeks, all right, and what, what we want for you and for me. We want to define what the gospel is. And as, as important, we want to define what the gospel isn't because I have a suspicion that some of us, both those, uh, those of us who've maybe grown up going to church at points and those maybe who are brand new and investigating Jesus, that sometimes we get the gospel wrong. All right, so we're going to talk about what it is and what it isn't. We're going to talk about how it's good news for everyone. All right, it's not just good news for the religious people. It's good news for everyone. Now, sometimes I have good news like way back in 2020, 2021, when I had COVID and we were quarantined for 14 days, when four out of the five of us in our house, remember when we had to do that, all right? When we had COVID and we were really sick with it, all five of us, all, all four of us. And my poor daughter was eating in the dining room by herself. Like, like we were just like, you know, save yourself, go, <laughs> you know? And, um, and we were like all in the kitchen, just couldn't taste anything we were eating. And that was kind of where we were. And so we were in the house for 14 days, right? And the good news is on day 14, we're like all, you know, Denise and Justin, Peter, myself, we're like, wow, we're free. The bad news is poor Sydney tested positive on day 14. She didn't leave the house for like two months, all right? That's what's wrong with her, all right? So she's going to be here the next hour, and I, and I will deny I said that, all right? So. But we're talking not just good news that's good news for me and then like it may not be good news for you. We're talking about good, this is good news for everyone. We're going to talk about why, all right? We're going to explore what it means for Jesus not only to be king of your life, but to also be the savior of your life, all right? And then lastly, what we want to do is we want to equip you. We want to equip each and every one of us to share that good news because the gospel is meant for everyone. All right, so that's what we're going to do. We're going to dive in today here. The first time we hear Jesus speak in the gospel of Mark, in Mark's narrative of Jesus' life, the first words that we see come out of Jesus' mouth, he says, repent. Repent. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news for the kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. And then we fast forward to Luke chapter 14 where Jesus delivers this kind of audacious, absurd, shocking, offensive call for people to follow him. And this is our big idea for today. Accept the call of Jesus. Accept the call of Jesus. So the gospel message, when you hear the word gospel, you know now that it means good news Right? And it means good news because what it means for anybody who's ever lived is that anybody who will live, right, is that despite what you've done or what you have not done, it's good news because of what Jesus has done for you. 
And we're going to unpack that a little bit. That's why it's good news. It doesn't matter what you've done or haven't done. It's good news because it's what Jesus has done for you. And let me just tell you right now, out of the gate, because we're going to get into it here right now, is one of the most disturbing and controversial things about the gospel, as if there could be something disturbing about such good news, all right? The most disturbing and controversial thing about the good news is that you cannot separate it from the call that it gives on your life. You cannot separate the good news from the call that it puts on your life, and it demands a response. You can't, it just can't be separated. So I want to look at Matthew chapter 4. All right, if you don't have a Bible, I mean, we'll have the passages on the screen, but we have at the hub out here in the lobby free Bibles. So we just want to put God's word in your hand. Go up and say, hey, can I have a Bible? They would love to give you one. Okay. So, But we're going to be look real quick here in Matthew chapter 4. Verses 18 through 22, all right? This is um, Jesus calling his first disciples, okay? Here we go. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers. Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. And at once they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets. Jesus called to them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. I don't want to miss something here, because I've read that passage, and I don't know about you, but I have read that passage a hundred times in my life. All right? And it's so easy to read that passage super quickly and just say, wow, it took mere seconds, like mere moments for these men to, oh, wait, who's calling us from shore? Oh, oh come follow these sure, throw the nets away and let's go. Right? And that's just kind of how you read it. And it just kind of happened like that. All right? And well, and, and it kind of did. All right? But let's be fair, when, as you read through the gospel accounts of this, it becomes clear that Jesus must have had interactions with, with Peter and John or James ahead of this. So they knew who he was. They, they had some interactions. So when he came and called them, there was some, for, some foreknowledge they had of the situation. All right? So, but they did leave. But I don't want you to miss anything. And, and like we were tempted just to glaze over this super quickly. Let's read it. And let's say, well, what can I learn from this passage? Be careful. There's a ton going on here. There's a lot going on here when it comes to the call that the gospel makes in your life. And I don't want you to miss it because it's so easy to miss the gospel. That's why I'm talking to you today about this. It's because it's so easy to miss the gospel. You can walk right by it and not notice it. But you, you can notice it and you, and, you, and you cannot have it into your life. Or you can invite the gospel into your life and you can be completely changed and ravaged by it. So here's the first thing you need to know. The gospel calls to you. The gospel calls to you. Um, let me tell you some good news about the gospel, all right? Jesus didn't tell people that they had to come to the gospel, all right? You see, sometimes we have this idea as people who are either seeking knowledge or trying to seek Jesus, or maybe we've been Christians for a long time, we have this idea that Jesus just kind of like propped himself up in the town square or like kind of just sat down in the synagogue and just started kind of just rattling off some moral codes, religious guidelines, and some wild, mind-blowing teaching, and then just kind of waited for people to come to him. 
just kind of like, now, 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 I've told you the truth, so you just need to come and, and you need to receive me. You need to ask me questions. You need to align your life with the religious principles that I just gave you. And he kind of just sat back and waited. And that is not at all what happened. It's not at all. You read through the gospel accounts and you will see Jesus constantly approaching men and women. He'll go find them. And even in the conversations where people approached him, he's going to immediately start talking about grace, about God's love. So Jesus is the initiator of grace. He's the initiator of the conversation. And I think sometimes we believe, and this is where one of the ways that we get the gospel wrong. So let's just unwrong it right now, okay? One of the things that we get wrong with the gospel is that we believe that Jesus, that God is just kind of waiting for you to get it, right? He's just waiting for you to understand enough. He's waiting for you to set aside that sin issue issues in your life. Like, stop it already, right? Just quit it. Get your stuff together and come follow me. And that's how you hear it, isn't it? That's how we hear it. Be more religious. Start praying more. Get your stuff together. And then come follow me. Jesus doesn't make anyone in the, in, in the Gospels guess about who he is. And a lot of us sometimes believe that there's this, like, gospel truth, this, like, salvation truth that, that, that Jesus, like, like, shoves under the rocks or, like, the remote control, like, just buries it in between the couch cushions so that you have to dig for it and find it. But that's not how the gospel works. The gospel's always been hiding in plain sight. And the th problem is that you and I make it complicated. Where Jesus never complicated it, you and I make the gospel complicated because you're scared. And rightly so. Maybe, maybe we should be. I'll get to that here in just a moment. We want to retain control of our life. We want to put off a, a, a response to the call of the gospel, and I've, and I've heard this a lot as a pastor, right? Especially right, as people are thinking about getting baptized. It's like, well, I just really want to understand more. And I want to say, son, listen, like, if you're waiting till you understand more about the creator God of heaven and earth before you get baptized, then you're never going to do it. All right, so some of us just make the gospel complicated because we think we have to reach this level of of. of of, ex, of expectation, of religiosity, of, of academic pursuit and understanding before we can answer the call. Or we think that, oh, no, 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 I get the gospel. I understand the gospel. And what you've done to the gospel in your head is you've treated it like it's this dense Amazon jungle. And you've been given a dull machete that couldn't cut a piece of cheese. And you just got to super work hard at that. And you're hacking away like, I got to pray more. I got to memorize more scripture. Like, I got to go to church like at least three times a month, even when it's cold, right? <laughs> like, and, and you're just like, and man, and, and like the gospel, like attaining to the gospel is like this hard work where you're just like, just, just whacking at that thing, trying to get through this path, and then heaven's like way over there. We make it complicated. And that's not, all, that's not at all how Jesus teaches it. In fact, the people who responded to the gospel, let me tell you this, the people who didn't have a low view of their worthiness, 
The people in scripture who didn't see their need for complete heart renovation. The people in the Bible who didn't change their view toward others or, or their view towards the priorities of their lives, right? They're the ones who didn't respond to the gospel. Now, contrary to the message I saw written on a bathroom wall the other day. Now, I do have a picture of it, but hold on a second. There it is, okay? That's not from a gas station. It's a coffee shop, and that's why I was able to... That's why I was able to put that up there. Now, there was actually a lot around there that I would not have put on the screen, all right? But luckily, I could get in and get, capture this one. This was written on the wall at a coffee shop I was at this week. As I was, like, reading and preparing for this sermon, um, I'm washing my hands, and I'm like, you're strong enough. You got this. I'm like, that is completely wrong. <laughs> you're not strong enough. And, and if I'm the first one to tell you, I'm sorry, you don't got this. And let me tell you something. I appreciate the sentiment, but it's from the pit of hell. You are not strong enough, and you don't got this. And I'll tell you this, the people that knew it, the people that knew they weren't strong enough, the people that knew that I don't got this, those were the very, first, those were the very people that Jesus called into the gospel. Those are the people who heard it and responded. Accept the call of Jesus. Listen to me. I'm telling you this. God calls you right where you are and not where you should be. God has called you right where you are right now. Not where you think you should be. Here's the second thing. The gospel is a drastic call. All right? Now, Jesus' invitation in Luke 14 was shocking, and it was tr super drastic. Let me read it again for you, just so you can make sure the awe is, is settled into your spirit, all right? and the terror. Okay, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and his mother, his wife and his children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And if anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Now, we have to pause here for just one second and clear, something up, and clear something up right now. Jesus, throughout his ministry, consistently upheld the Jewish law, all right? The Jewish system, okay? Which said that you had to honor your father and mother, that you had to love your wife and your family and to be devoted to them. So when Jesus says that you have to now hate your father and mother, your wife and your children, in order to follow him, he's not contradicting himself. And you say, well, it sure really sounds like he is. But let me tell you something. In Jesus' day and culture, who your daddy was, all right, was everything. What your name was, where you came from, your pedigree it was everything. It was your identity. It was your value. It was your worth. It was your future. What your name was and who your family was, it, today in our American Western culture, it probably would really not be unlike what we would say your career or how much money you make and how much can, things can your money buy you. That's where we find identity, worth, value, right? But in Jesus' day, who's your family? Who's your dad? What's your last name? It was everything. Right? And Jesus turns to this crowd and says, you want to know what the cost of following me is going to be? Do you want to know what it is? 
right? If, any, if, any, if you want anything to do with Jesus, if you want anything, he says this, right? So if you want anything to do with me, anything to do with the gospel, here's the, here's the call, here's the cost. I have to be your number one priority and only authority in your life. Uh, theologian, author, pastor, N.T. Wright, okay? He says it like this. He said, a lot of times that we understand the gospel, we misunderstand the gospel, because we see Jesus making a call like that in our life, like a politician would when they're stumping and they're going out and trying to get votes. He says, if you're going to vote for me, it's like Jesus is not like a politician. If you're going to vote for me, then you're, you're going to have to lose your job. You're going to have to lose your families and your homes. If you vote for me, you're voting for higher wages, crazy inflation, and, and a lot of job loss. All right? If you vote for me, you're going to have to be just bent on losing all the things that you love most. So can I count on your vote this November? Like, that's absurd, and it's not any way to get votes. In fact, um, Wright says, Jesus is not like a politician because that sounds, that sounds absurd. Jesus is more like, he says, a leader of, this, of an expedition. He's this expeditionary leader of a great expedition. Listen to this. He says, Jesus is more like that leader. Hey, come with me. We're going to forge our way through this mountainous pass. Really super dangerous but we're going to take some medical aid to this village that's been cut off from all human contact. If you want to come with me, we got to leave now. And you're going to have to take off your pack, and you're going to have to leave your packs here because the pass that we're taking, won't, you won't be able to carry all of that stuff with you. You're going to have to leave it behind. Oh, and one more thing. Go ahead and send that last text message. Send that last postcard to your families because there's a really good chance that you're never going to see him again. Because this journey and this expedition and this path that we're taking is so dangerous, there's a good chance a lot of us will never be coming back. So who's going on this journey with you? Leave your family. Put your career, your aspirations, and your skill sets on the back burner. Loving, knowing and resembling me now has to become the supreme priority of your life. Everything else comes second. Everything. And so when a Judas, in, a Judas, in a Jewish idiom, when, when it says to hate your father and mother, what Jesus is saying is in comparison to everything else in your life, you must love all all of those things less than you love me. And this is where we get the gospel wrong. So often. You see, Americans, we love comforts, don't we? We love comforts. I didn't want to get out of bed this morning. Those flannel sheets were awesome. <laughs> All right? And it was just like, that was cozy. And the truth is, we love our religion cozy, too. We love Jesus, cozy. We love the songs, and we love the scripture verses that we can hang framed on our walls. And we love comfortable religious stuff. But I'll tell you something. When you read the Bible, it actually is kind of mind-blowing that Jesus never once, ever, ever had a response from someone that was just kind of neutral or north of neutral. 
No one in the Bible ever heard Jesus teach or saw him do anything and said, I, I, read it, all right, you'll see this. And no one ever said, oh, he's kind of cool. I kind of like some of those things he's saying. Maybe I'll stick around a little bit longer. I'll tell you what the response was from anybody who had encounters with Jesus. They either picked up stones to throw them at him. They, they screamed curses at him, folded their arms and walked away in disgust or they fell down on their knees and worshipped him. They fell down on their knees and said, whatever, whatever you ask me to do, I'll do. Sovereign King, Lord. See, Jesus never, ever once allowed, and nor did anybody even naturally respond with just kind of like, um, yeah, this kind of feels good. I think I'll try this. Never. We like to find a happy middle ground, don't we, somewhere in our American Christian ideals. We kind of want everything. We don't really want to hate and give up anything and love those things less. But we'll kind of invite a little bit of Jesus in. It kind of feels warm. He's kind of cozy. It kind of feels good. You know, something I've been, I was listening to a podcast, and, and I've listened to a couple of different podcasts over the last, I don't know, nine months, and I've been reading these studies. And, and, and it talks about um, the shift in Christian culture recently, that, that uh, in America specifically, that those of us who are in our 40s or 50s, if you're in that generation, all right, we are the post-Christian culture of the United States. Many of us maybe had some church background, maybe had some influence of Christianity in our lives, but very little. And if it was some, we have neglected to pass that on to our children, and so what this study has talked about is they're looking at the religious views of the 18 to 25-year-olds, Generation Z or those that surround that by a few years. And what they're saying is that actually this generation in, in the West, Western culture is now pre-Christian. What does that mean? Well, it's actually awesome because unlike their parents who only sprinkled faith in culturally to them, or who only visited church on holidays, right? 18 to 25-year-olds have really never been to church. They haven't been there long enough to have been ticked off by something someone said there, right? They don't really know much of anything about Jesus. They don't, thank God, know enough to just be like, oh, I didn't really like that experience. I'm never going back. Like, they just don't know. So they're pre-Christian. They're actually curious. They're actually hungry. They're actually searching for something because they see a culture and, a, and, and, and they see a culture of their parents and say, I'm not really sure I'm into this kind of just, just Jesus just gets sprinkled in with everything else. I didn't really see that change my parents for anything. And I certainly know that this culture of, of believe what you want and you do you, that's not making anything better either. See, there's a generation that says, I want more. I need more. There's got to be something that's true for everybody out there. Pre-Christian, which is super exciting. Take up your cross wasn't simply an expression that Jesus used for shock value. It was a symbol of death and surrender. And when there's an urgent task put before you and me, then everything else, everything else, including your own life, must be put at risk for the sake of the gospel. Quickly, Next one, the gospel calls you to share. Listen, this is a really simple one, and it's probably one, one of the harder ones. 
the gospel calls you to share. It, the gospel is a rally point. And Jesus used this good news that he was going to die for every person who ever believed to rally people around him that, so that they could hear it and know it and then send them out to share it, period. The gospel's for everyone. And I'm going to tell you this, and it's going to sound harsh. If your view of people isn't radically being transformed by the gospel, if you don't see more patience coming out of you, as a whole, okay, not, you know, I understand, right? People drive you crazy. But if you don't see more compassion coming out of you, if you don't see more generosity towards others coming out of you, if you don't see that more patience, more kindness, if you don't start seeing people as not your, your enemies, as not people who bother you, as not people who are not worth your time or your money. And if you don't start seeing people differently, people for whom the gospel exists, then you don't get the gospel and you don't understand. It calls you to share. And the only fitting response that we have to the gospel is to go and get others. Not winning them to some theological argument. Stop it. All right, that's not your job. Not winning them to religious principles. For the love of God, don't do that. But winning them to Jesus. Accept the call of Jesus. Here's how I'm going to, I'm going to leave you with this one as we look at Jesus' call. The gospel is God's call to grace. Why do you answer the call? I'm telling you right now, and, and, and I can't say this for, with certainty that God right now is calling every person in this room because you may, you may not be that person that right now, you're not willing to hear it. You're not even willing to receive it. And so I'm not going to be so um, audacious to say that he's calling you right now and you better respond because I don't even know that a lot of us are even right now in a place where we're ready to hear it and respond. I don't know. But I will say this, because you're in this room with me and we're talking about this, so I at least know that you know a few things. When Jesus says call, why should you answer? It's because he's the only king you've ever needed. It's because you've been searching for a long time. For someone to have authority, for someone to tell you what's what, what's right, what's true, and he's it. And when Jesus says, come follow me, he says, I want you to come follow me because I want you to know that I'm sovereign and I have authority over your life. I love you, but I'm not going to wield that power to control you and condemn you. I'm actually going to set it aside in humility and I'm going to die for you. Because I've brought you life-altering, history-changing, good news. Not just good advice on how you should live your life, but good news that saves you. See, the bad news is that you are hopelessly sinful and that God owes me nothing for my good life. But the good news of the gospel is that I have been forgiven and set free. And not only does the gospel do that for me once, but the gospel daily begs me to be transformed by its power, to ever deepening layer after layer these beautiful things about who God is as he changes my life. That's what the gospel does. And Jesus himself is the only God, the only one, 
who has done absolutely everything he's asking you to do when he calls you. He left his dad. Set of all his credentials aside. Gave up the comforts. Took up God's priorities. And died so you don't have to. Accept the call of Jesus. Let me challenge you with this. There's actually a young woman who's going to be baptized here in just a few minutes. And that water's really warm and feels good. I'm not going to say that God's calling everybody, but I believe that there's people in this room that God's saying, why won't you just surrender to me and be baptized in my name and be set free? Now, there's people in this room that you, you've, you've been writing your own gospel and it's not been doing anything for you. And maybe today is a day that you just step in and say, I want, I'm forgiven and set free by the blood of Jesus. I'm in. We'll have people at the communion table back here to pray with you as we sing during this next song. If that's you and you would love to talk to someone about getting baptized, meet them back there. Who is it that needs to hear the things you heard today? Tell them. Tell them. And let me tell you this to everybody also. Every time you get in your car this week, Every time you get in your car and you start the engine or you ride in a car, I want you to ask this question. Every time you sit in that seat, seatbelt on, start the engine, I want you to ask yourself this question because you're going somewhere. Every time you get in the car this week, every time you turn that key, may it spark a question for you. God, what are you calling me to do? What are you calling me to know? What are you calling me, where are you calling me to go? Die to yourself and take up his life in your place. Jesus, we love you. Sometimes I've, I don't even know what that means, but God, I just know that you died and I'm so thankful. I'm so thankful that you've made a way where there's no other way that you made a way. Father, may the call that you give my life, Father, may, may the Spirit give us strength to respond, to be forever changed and surrendered to your holy name. I love you and pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.